Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. This is your friend, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humble abode of books during this pandemic paradise where quarantine is no longer cute. There's so many things that I want to talk about. I'm uh, I'm in an interesting space tonight because I guess what's going through my mind is denial. Denial is weighing heavy on me tonight. I think it's been weighing heavy on me since January 6th. I think it's been weighing heavy on it on my heart because... I don't know how in the world people can cling to beliefs that are killing them. Well, that's not altogether true. I mean, I'm an addict. I know what it's like to truly believe that the things that are killing me actually are helping me. I'm, uh, I got Texas on my mind. And something, you know, to see Texas in snow, in freezing weather is one thing. Then it's an entirely other thing to see them without power in Texas. Then on top of that, busted pipes and no water. And then, of course, you know, the Feast de Resistance, right, of... Senator Cruz heading across the border to the country with a population he doesn't want over here, but he's going there to escape the cold in Texas. The the irony was not lost on me at all in that entire situation. But then something happened when I found out a young girl froze to death in a trailer in Texas. And then when I found out that the electric company was charging these outrageous prices to keep the electricity running in some houses by the thousands of dollars. And then to find out that state politicians were trying to find a way to use the federal funding that Joe Biden is providing for them to pay the electric company to keep the electricity going. The mountain of corruption 
all of that waved against on a scale of this child freezing to death. I mean, it just makes me... It, it makes me question everything about my own existence. You know, I it, it's almost... Knowing it happened, being well aware that it happened, being overly aware that these things happened often, and then on the other side of that, just on the other side of that, I ask myself, is this real? Like, are we really this apathetic to human life? And the answer is a resounding yes, but I don't like that answer. I don't like that answer. I found out that Ghana is offering dual citizenship. Ciao. Uganda is offering citizenship. I was like, man, I'm like rethinking the entirety of the life I have left. I thought about God today. I thought about God just out of desperation today. I'm not a believer in organized religion. There's no particular book of faith that I'm loyal to. But all of them, I'm going to quote something that I read in a book on religions, but I don't remember the person who said it, but I do want to power, I do want to just say that this isn't an original thought, but I know that all the religions of the world are the winnowed wisdom of humankind. I know that. It is the collective conscience that says don't lie, that says don't steal, that says don't harm other people maliciously. But, you know, I look at this country and I only know in my heart of hearts this country. I can't speak on any corruptions or wrongdoings going on anywhere else in the world with the same uh, confidence that I can speak of the United States. This place is so corrupt that I just, the thought of saying, yes, I'm an American makes me want to take a shower. It really does. I, I just, I don't understand how we can do the things we do. I don't know how I can go on with my day knowing that these things happened. Knowing that an electric company shut off its own power or didn't prepare their infrastructure for cold weather. And while charging people obscene amounts of money to maintain the power in their homes, a young girl freezes to death in a trailer. I, I just... As much as acutely aware as I am of all the wrongdoings that happened around me on a daily basis, I still, I still don't want to, I don't want to be aware of the things I'm acutely aware of. You know what I'm saying? It's like having a close friend tell you something that makes you not fucking like them simultaneously being grateful that they were that honest with you 
but wishing I didn't know. I just, it's not that I wish I, I didn't know. It's, I just wish it didn't happen. And it's such a, it's such a Peter Pan thought process, you know? Like, of course these things happen. Of course people do bad things. I'm like, just, you know, I just don't know how some people sleep at night. I guess that's what's bothering me. I don't know how some people sleep at night. And and I'm on, I think what, what stirred up so much of this from me today, and I apologize if this isn't my normal warm and fuzzy way, but I think what stirred this up today is all the reports about a police officer's deathbed confession concerning the NYPD and FBI conspiracy into the death of Malcolm X, into the murder, into the assassination of Malcolm X. And it is this, I think, underwhelming shock that so many people have about it, where I know there are millions of black people like myself who are like, bitch, please, we've been known. And I, I, I also can't, um, I can't give too much credit to this officer. I know he, you know, this was more of a desperation to clear his conscience before he died than anything else. But it wasn't a true, you know, sincere confession of wanting to right a wrong. I just think at that moment of eternal closure, I think he wanted to just set any possible RSVPs he could for where his body goes and his soul goes after. So, I mean, there's not much kudos coming from me. I'm grateful he did it, but there's no spiritual pat on the back that I can really offer. And then on another hand, you know, people who don't want to speak ill of the dead in concerning... Uh, Rush Limbaugh. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Ugh, don't make me puke. And it's these things, it's these resentments, it's this frustration, it's this overwhelming sadness I have. Just today... Just today in particular, today specifically, I have an overwhelming sadness for humanity. And I want to talk my way through it. And I'm talking my way through it with y'all because if I don't, if I just turn off this phone, I will say all of the same things I'm saying right now except with a lot more profanity. And I'll be saying them to the walls and I will at moments, appear insane to myself. So at least having my podcast on, I don't <laughs> present as someone who is kind of losing his mind right now. The one good feeling I have is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Can we just... <sighs> Can we just normalize? Can we make more like her? Can we just just reproduce a lot of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's? Can we just can we make a lot of them? Cuz she is 
everything about humanity that I pray for. I mean, everything about her. Just the way so many representatives, so many politicians from the state of Texas have talked hella smack about this woman who has now raised nearly $5 million from the state of Texas. From her own constituents, she has persuaded them to give in order to help the people of Texas, which, kudos, man. Like, if you take politicians out of it, the human beings in Texas need all the help they can get right now. And that's the truth. But I don't think that Senator Cruz was doing the same thing for New York City. And as much smack as they talk about her, nonetheless, she understood the priorities. She understood how to compartmentalize, you know, the, the mudslinging and was like, you know, this is about helping the people. And it's amazing how she has done more for the state of Texas than their own state representative. Like, can we just... Uh, and I guess that this is the denial that I want to talk about. I don't know how in good faith Republicans can stand behind Ted Cruz. I don't know how they could not see how God forbid... If Trump was still president, do you know how many Texans would just have no hope right now? I, I just can't help but imagine how Trump and Ted Cruz would be golfing in Cancun somewhere right now. Like Ted Cruz would have never came back. Trump would have been like, fuck them people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um... He would have come up with all kinds of excuses. He would have also doubled down on all this talk about the, you know, wind turbines and how the Green New Deal would have just destroyed the state of Texas. Like, the state of Texas is right now destroyed. Like, a if a child dies, fuck your politics. A child has died. And I think that that's where my frustration comes. You know, anybody who dies, they're, we have to question ourselves. I think it's just the, the symbolism of innocence that a child has. How they didn't vote. They don't pay taxes. It, it is our, it's our spiritual duty to save children. I, I just think that it's an innate, natural, instinctual drive to protect children and if that vanishes damn us all and when a child dies from our actions whether you are the ceo of a utility company and you shut off power or you exploited you know the lack of, of regulations by a government by a state or a federal government and you didn't create the infrastructure that human beings deserved and a child dies, or if you are me, 
And no matter what happens in Texas, your day continues and you can take a moment to smile and have a conversation, maybe make a couple of TikTok videos, post some pictures on Instagram, listen to music and and feel bad, but not really do anything. I think we're all responsible. I feel that way when an unarmed black person is murdered by police. I feel that way when uh, undocumented people aren't offered just decency, toothbrushes and soap in detention, or even in detention. I feel this way, you know, when some working poor white woman who still believes in Trump dies because she can't afford to see a doctor. Politics has nothing to do with it. If if a life is lost because of the way that we are running our day-to-day affairs, the physical death of someone as consequence for our behavior is the social and spiritual death for us all. I want to say that again. If what we do causes death, a part of all of us dies. You know, I got my, um, I got a frame for my college degree from Virginia Commonwealth University. And when the offer came to put a small plaque on it, I, um, I was given the opportunity to have three lines placed on the plaque. And on the first line, it says, when the finger hurts, the second line says, the body, and the bottom line says, hurts. When the finger hurts, the body hurts. And I want to talk about, for a minute, why I chose those words to place on a plaque at the bottom of my college degree. When I was in my early 20s, I had read the autobiography of Malcolm X and something happened. A lot of the convenient ideologies I had as a white passing black person, um, thinking the police always do the right thing. I used to believe that... Um, racism was, you know, all but gone. I didn't think that, you know, banks and real estate agencies and school systems were racist. I, I just, my, my view was just too narrow to conceive of an idea that big until I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. It just... It changed me. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those changes. And I think today, with this new information about his assassination, I think this is poignant. I think it's fitting. Well, I read the book. And after reading his autobiography, I I saw the world differently. Like, I, I could stand on the same street corner at the same bus stop that I had been standing at for, you know, months, a couple of years by that point. And the way 
I saw people walking down the street. It was almost like... It was almost like Neo being taken out of the Matrix. And now he understood that it was all symbols just raining down a computer screen, you know? And I found Islam at that time in my life, my early 20s. And I asked a lot of questions and I, I went to uh, a masjid or a mosque in Patterson, New Jersey. And I sat in the office of the imam, which for some of you who don't know, that's like the priest of, a, of an Islamic faith. And we sat there and he said, I want you to ask all the questions before you make this commitment. And I asked him all kinds of questions, you know, about sex and relationships and race. And and I had taken my Shahada, you know, I took my leap of faith into Islam. And that night I had gone to the mosque. There was a, a special presentation and it was about Bosnia. So that gives you... Uh, that gives you a timeline, you know, whenever that happened. I don't know when that happened. I think it was 93, I want to say, when the Serbian government um, was fighting with Bosnia, when Bosnia was fighting for their independence. This is uh, after the, you know, the dissipation of uh, communism in the USSR and the Soviet Union. And Bosnia had been fighting for their independence as, as their own country. And the Serbian government wanted to keep Bosnia, um, or at least make it part of Serbia. And so the Serbian, the Serbian military was just atrocious. You know, the things that they were doing to Bosnian civilians, uh, women, children. It's unspeakable, and I won't go into the visceral details that I had even heard that night during the lecture. But at one point, the imam said in Arabic, and I had this uh, headphone translator, he said, when the finger hurts, the body hurts. And there were so many other men in the room that began to nod. And I didn't understand what that meant. And he kept saying it. He said, one Muslim being brutalized in Bosnia affects us all. And God, I just felt my brain widen. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it was like, it, it, it was just like looking at a piece of artwork one way your whole life. And then all of a sudden, someone says, oh, this isn't at the right angle and turns it a half a turn or a quarter turn rather. And you're like, oh, oh my God. Oh, that's what it's supposed to... Oh, my... I, like, the whole world just opened. And I remember crying. I remember crying, like, sobbing. Like, my stomach hurt. My chest was tight. And the tears were just, like, dripping off my face. And he was asking for donations to help um, Bosnian Muslims who were struggling. They weren't eating. They had no supplies. And they were, you know, making these donations for, for Bosnia. And I remember I had $100 in my pocket. 
and no one had yet stepped up to make any donations yet. And $100 in the early 90s, ciao. $100 right now is a lot of money. But $100 back then, I mean, to give you an example, I was living in, I was in New Jersey, which is an expensive place to live, mind you. And I was in a three-bedroom apartment, and I think the rent for the apartment was $900. So that gives you an idea of what $100 meant back then. Because a three-bedroom apartment in New Jersey right now, she never, <laughs> could never afford it. But um, I took this $100. It was all the money I had in the world. I had no bank account. You know, it was all the money I had in the world. I remember I put this hundred, I stepped up and was wiping my tears away and I walked over and I put this hundred dollar bill into this till. And the imam had walked over to me and, and gently grabbed my arm and like pulled me towards where he was standing. And I got really nervous. I got really scared because, I mean, it's not like at church, you know, where if you're at, the only way I could explain it is being at a black church. And, you know, the pastor is in the middle of his sermon and he's sweating and he's, he's, he's giving you that good word and black people are smiling and they're singing and they're nodding. Well, in a masjid, when the imam is speaking, nobody's moving, nobody's nodding, nobody has any, there's no call and response. It is quiet. And I mean, I, I, what comes to mind is that Rakim song, you know, ghetto with you know, the ghetto when he says nobody's smiling. Like, it was, it was just nobody's like, everybody's got this stone cold face. And I had my headphones on and I was grateful for that because I could understand what the, the imam was saying. And he was talking about how I had just taken my shahada that day and how this act of kindness was something that we need to be aware of. And he said again, when the finger hurts, the body hurts. And man, the tears were just, I, whew, I had lost so much of my bodily fluids that night in tears that I know I probably didn't pee for a good 24 hours. But I will say that while I was there, all I could think in my head was after I had just finished reading the autobiography of Malcolm X probably the week before, all I could think was, would Malcolm X sit here? Would Malcolm X sit here and listen to stories of suffrage, knowing there was money in his pocket and not give it to them? And the answer I had in my head was no. No, he would not. He would have gotten up long time ago and would have handed over that $100 bill, having faith in the God of his understanding that Allah would provide. And so who was I to sit there and not believe that I would be taken care of while doing this righteous act? So I did it. And I'm not saying any of this to brag because it's not a brag. It's just the facts. And I didn't feel, I know that it was just the facts because I didn't feel good afterwards. I didn't feel like I did my part. I gave the hundred dollars because that's all I had. If I had 200, I might've given 200. It was all that I could do. It wasn't the least I could do. It was everything I could do. And I think 
That's why that phrase means so much to me. The finger is a part of the body. If the finger hurts, the body hurts. If the finger gets infected, the infection spreads, the body dies. Texans are the finger to the body of the planet. Muslims in Chinese concentration camps are the finger to the body of the planet. Indians, Indian farmers striking in the streets right now in India. They are the finger to this worldly body. Women in Pakistan forbidden to learn. Queer people in Saudi Arabia in prison being sentenced to death. All of these are digits on a body. The things that I can do for Texas need to be all the things I can do. Not the least I can do. What I do for anybody who's struggling is all I can do. And I had a friend of mine just the other day who said, why do you take so much time out of your day to help other people? You know, I get guys with my, uh, with my TikTok, I got to tell you, a lot of you don't know, but I get DMs. Sometimes the DMs are something beautiful that I wake up to. You know, I wake up to messages like, your TikTok helps me so much, thank you. Or, I love your makeup. Or, I love your smile. Or, I love your voice. Your voice just makes me feel warm, welcomed, and safe. And I get a, I get a lot of that. But I also get confessions. I get messages of people who just want to leave their kids and run away. I get messages of women being abused by their lover. I get messages of people wanting to take their own lives. I get messages of people who just recently relapsed on drugs and haven't told anyone yet. And they, they ask me, I don't know what to do. What, what do you think I could do? And the conversations are long and sometimes they last all day back and forth in, in messages and DMs. Sometimes I give out my number and I sit on the phone and I talk to them and I should be taking care of my grad school homework. I will be late for work because instead of getting ready, I was on the phone with somebody. And I don't do these things because I'm a nice guy. I don't do them because I'm righteous. Because let me tell you, I'm not. I could do the most spiritually centered deeds from now until my very last breath and it would never make up for the harm I've caused. So let's be real about that. I do these things because it's all I can do. I do this because it's all, it's not the least I could do, it's all I can do. And I don't know why that is so hard for so many people to understand. Yes, I think there's a line to be drawn. I think self-care is something to consider. I don't think that we should um, sacrifice everything that we have for other people because it's just not realistic. We, I have to preserve myself as an individual in a capitalist society. I can't give all my money away all the time. I got my own bills to pay. Um, but at the same time, I know that there are days when I could do more than I'm doing. And I need to be honest with myself at the least about that.
I need to admit that the U.S. has taught me to care a little less about a lot of other things. You know, we have our toys, we have our phones, we have our laptops, and, you know, a lot of us are indoors, and we, you know, we whine about our jobs and, you know, where we live or how much we got in the bank or how little we got in the bank or, you know, the troubles are that our kids are causing us, the stress we have about whatever. Anything less than life-threatening. And, and, you know, this is real stuff. But... At the same time, I know that there are people going through a lot worse than a lot of other places. However, this country has me so dizzied with crap. You know, I don't know how news media turned into this visual audio gossip column. How, you know, what's happening to Kanye and Kim Kardashian somehow manages to take up a good 20 minutes of of a news cycle or you know i mean just stuff like stuff that's like really is this where we are is pop culture really this important is it so important that other things you know we just sidetracked and you know it's a magic trick you know you're watching the wrong hand you know the woman ain't floating, but you, you just didn't see how it happened. And I feel like that when it comes to the stuff that should really concern us. You know, the news I'm not hearing. I learned a long time ago from a psychologist. His name was James Nolowski. And James Nolowski told me that in one-on-one therapy, what's more important than what the client is saying is what the client isn't saying. And I've learned that about the news media. It's not so much about what the news is telling us. It's about what it's not telling us. Like how come we're not hearing about what's happening to the Nigerians right now? The atrocities. How come we're not hearing, you know, about how absolutely effective the Indian farmers have persuaded the way India is doing its free market system with farming? How come we're not hearing about all of the amazing work that Elon Omar is doing. How she's taking on the the skin bleaching um, phenomena. And, you know, there's, there's so many other things. How come we haven't heard about the Muslims in concentration camps in China? Since when? I, I don't know exactly when it happened. Maybe it's always been this way, but I doubt it. I remember as a child, even in uh, a tween, even in my early adolescence, I remember news being news, man. I remember it being just this unbiased statement of the facts. And then sometime when news became this 24-hour system on cable, all of a sudden sensationalism got ratings and ratings became way more important and I'm scared I'm just I'm so scared about where we are as a collective existence I'm just scared 
A girl froze to death because an electric company exploited the deregulation system in the state of Texas. I mean, what else is there to say? A police officer confessed to participating in the assassination of Malcolm X. This is the finger, y'all. How do we heal? How do we start just really dismissing all the bullshit and see that if we don't start taking care of this infection, we're going to be in some trouble that we are going to paint ourselves into a corner that we won't be able to evolve from. And when I pray tonight to whatever's there, I am going to ask what I always ask. That my actions, that my beliefs, that my intentions, and my emotions all move in the same direction towards love. And I'm going to ask the same for others. And someday, I believe that emoting this urge, this wish, I believe it's going to change at least one person, one more. I just want to change one more person. And every day I think that to myself, I want to change one more person. There's no way that I could change 346 million people that live in the United States. But I can change one more. I don't know which person that's going to be, so I got to be on my A-game at all times. But we got to do all we can. Because if the finger hurts, the body hurts. Good night, y'all. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers... Um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.